Hi there, it's Lucia, host of the Witch Money podcast here. Before we start today's episode, I just wanted to tell you about a really handy new tool from us here at Witch, and even better, it's free. It's called My Money Health Check. All you need to do is answer a few quick questions about your finances, and then we'll do the rest, pointing you towards our brilliant witch advice that we think you'll find really useful. Once again, that's My Money Health Checks. If you want help with cutting your bills or making your money go further, it's the place for you. Just head to witch.co.uk forward slash My Money Health Check. We all know the NHS is struggling. Over recent weeks, we've seen ambulance staff and nurses striking, climbing death rates, headlines that claim ambulance wait times are currently the worst on record, and plenty of horror stories in the news about the impact of waiting too long for treatment. Hospitals aside, there's another healthcare issue that many of us are facing, and a question we'd like to try and answer in today's episode. According to recent stats, the number of practising GPs are falling sharply. Recently, the British Medical Association found there were almost 2,000 fewer fully qualified GPs in 2022 compared to in 2015, when those particular records began. With fewer doctors available to see us, it's no wonder that waiting times for appointments are rising – People are quick to condemn GPs on social media, but we wanted to see what it's like on the front line for the GPs who are still practising and to see what a solution to the problem could look like if indeed there is one to be found. So, I'm Grace Farrell and this week's Witch Investigates asks, why is it so hard to book a doctor's appointment? Investigates is brought to you by the UK's Consumer Champion. We work to make life simpler, fairer and safer for everyone. We've got new episodes out every fortnight, diving deeper into the issues that matter. If you've got something you'd like us to investigate, give us a shout on social at Witch UK or send us an email at podcasts at witch.co.uk. Coming up, I speak to a serving GP about his experience of the system right now. We do hear a lot in the news about pressures in the NHS and pressures on hospitals and GPs, but in my 20 years, I've never known the workload to be so high. And for the profession, for doctors and the whole team in the practice to really feel that pressure quite significantly. We've obviously just been through a pandemic, but even prior to the pandemic, the issues were quite difficult to deal with. But now we have over 7 million people on waiting lists in England, waiting for operations, for procedures. And that has a huge impact on GPs. I hear from a journalist here at Witch who shadowed a GP for the day to see what a typical shift is like. I was there for probably around 12 hours. And the doctor had been working before that. And he told me as he drove me to the station to go home and as he got out of his car, his phone was ringing again, you know, still on. And he told me he would be doing a couple of hours, if not more, of paperwork when he got home. 
and I ask whether an NHS in crisis could push more people to go private. You are going to get treated sooner via private, though, you know, it'll be interesting to see if that changes at all as more people do switch to private, because the other thing ultimately is that the consultants are often the same across NHS and private, so there's only a finite amount of resource. Now, don't get me wrong, all the Witch Investigates episodes that we make are important. But this week's podcast feels especially timely, given what's happening in the NHS right now. As I record this, nurses in England are on their second day of walkouts this month, and ambulance staff in Wales are also striking. But what about GPs? I'm lucky enough to be registered with a brilliant GP surgery who's been especially accommodating since I had children, but I'm still blown away by how hard it is to get through to them, especially first thing in the morning when the lines first open. It's easy to feel hard done by when no one can see you, but I've witnessed the phones ringing relentlessly as the receptionists struggle to keep up, so I know it's challenging for both parties. Today, you'll hear a lot from my colleague Ian. He's a journalist here at Witch, and late last year he was given the chance to spend a day at a surgery to get a first-hand look at how it operates. Anecdotally, we know that people have been struggling to get a GP appointment, and I had a look at the NHS GP patient survey. So in 2022, only about half, 52% of patients got an appointment when they wanted it or sooner, and that's down from 60% in 2021. And then in terms of how they found the experience of making an appointment, the good experience metric was down from 70% to 56%. So that's a big drop there. Concerningly, I think there was another question that the survey asked, which was, if you couldn't get an appointment, what did you do? And over a third of people said they just didn't speak to anyone or do anything. So that's a big increase in people essentially just giving up on what they thought was a big health problem they had that was worth seeing a GP for. I'm not really surprised by these stats, though the rate at which the metrics have dropped in just one year is pretty shocking. I had a look at the survey myself, and worryingly, more than a quarter of people said they hadn't made an appointment at all because they found it too difficult. This was up from just 11% the year before. I'm Dr David Wrigley. I'm a GP in Carnforth, which is in North Lancashire, and I work across the North Lancashire and South Cumbria border. It's quite a large practice with 26,000 patients, and I've been a GP for over 20 years. Alongside Ian's experience, we've also been able to hear directly from a serving GP for today's episode. As well as being a GP, Dr Wrigley is also Deputy Chair of the GP Committee at the British Medical Association, which is a trade union that represents lots of medical professionals who work in the UK. We do hear a lot in the news about pressures in the NHS and pressures on hospitals and GPs, but in my 20 years, I've never known the workload to be so high. And for the profession, for doctors and the whole team in the practice to really feel that pressure quite significantly. We've obviously just been through a pandemic, but even prior to the pandemic, issues were quite difficult to deal with. But now we have over 7 million people on waiting lists in England, waiting for operations, for procedures. And that has a huge impact on GPs. We'll hear more about the impact that pressures are having on GPs from a personal perspective a little later on. 
But for now, let's explore what the impact's been on patients, people like you and me. The Patients Association is a charity representing the interests of all patients and their families. This is what their chief exec, Rachel Power, had to say about the current state of affairs. We hear a lot on the helpline around frustrations from patients on accessing GP appointments and indeed just getting through to the GP surgery to make those appointments can be quite a difficulty for patients. We also run a lot of surveys with our patients and GP access has come up. But in the main, patients feel that once they get access to their GP, they get a really good experience. It's the system around that that's causing the problem. Last year, we conducted our own GP survey here at WITCH, and again, the findings were fairly predictable. In a WITCH survey, we asked people to share their experiences just in a few words of what they've found it to be like getting a GP appointment recently. The word frustrating came up a lot, stressful came up a lot, but the most blunt one probably was someone who said, I think the GP needs to kick up the arse. They are dragging their feet. So people are not happy generally with the whole system and the way it's going. So I really wanted to find out why it is that way. Ian took the train up to visit a surgery in Greater Manchester. He'd been invited there by a partner at the practice, Dr Amir Hannan. So I arrived at the doctor's surgery probably about 5 to 8. It opens at 8. And already outside, there was actually a line of about two or three people. This turned out not to be an indicator of an overwhelming demand. These were pre-scheduled blood tests, things like that. And when I came in, I joined the doctor and he told me he had already been working from home for a few hours. He woke up at about 5 a.m., maybe it was before that actually, he woke up very early, had already been working. Then he'd come in, arrived just before I did, and he sort of talked me through how the practice worked. One thing that a lot of practices are doing is expanding the number of non-GP clinical staff they have. So it takes a really, really long time to train up a GP. So the fact that there is not enough GPs for the number of patients, which is a problem across the whole country, that cannot be easily rectified. We know from the stat I mentioned earlier that the BMA estimates that there are 2,000 fewer GPs now than there were in 2015. GPs just don't feel able to deal with patients in a way that they would wish to. And that leads to um, demoralisation and what we call moral injury, where you just feel you're not able to use your skills to look after patients as you perhaps wished you would have done when you trained as a doctor and as a GP. That term, moral injury, it's one you'll hear again later. That then leads to um, doctors and maybe in their 50s who would have wanted to stay on, think about alternatives to either work less or work elsewhere or just leave the profession. And it also puts off doctors at the start of their careers when they you obviously see all the pressures that GPs are facing, hospital colleagues are facing and think, well, is this the right career path for me? And many of them are choosing, you know, they're voting with a feed for now, they're working abroad or changing careers or just thinking this isn't for me at all. And that obviously leads to problems if you can't recruit GPs and more leaving at the end, you see a reduction in numbers. And then that obviously has an impact on waiting times and the ability to see a GP. And all that's on the backdrop of GPs actually delivering more than ever. Uh, In November 2022, just gone, we've delivered over 31 million appointments in one month. And that's 4 million more than that same month three years before that, prior to COVID. 
So, you know, you can just see that the amount of work we're doing is going up, the population's going up, but we've lost a lot of GPs. You know, we've lost nearly 2,000 full-time equivalent GPs in the last five to six years. So more work and less doctors does lead to huge pressures. And of course, that leads to um, increased waiting times and problems accessing your surgery. pandemic impacted pretty much every aspect of our lives, but the biggest sting has been felt in medical care. Because huge swathes of the NHS were almost solely dedicated to fighting COVID, other areas of healthcare were starved of oxygen. Long COVID is just one of the issues that's put a strain on the NHS in the wake of the pandemic. And it's not something GPs were exempt from. Dr Laura Jefferson was quoted in a University of York study as saying that many GPs have reported stress and burnout over recent years, which is potentially damaging not just to doctors themselves, but also to patients and healthcare systems. But the primary issue from COVID continues to be the ever-growing backlog of patients who weren't able to get routine treatment. During the peak of the outbreak, the British Medical Journal found that in-person appointments dropped from 87.3% to 41%. In America, the Centre for Disease Control and Prevention found that over a third of patients delayed seeking treatment for other illnesses during COVID. So patients are now flocking back into waiting rooms with the added complication that lots of ailments have gotten worse because they weren't treated at the time. Now, just because there was a drop in face-to-face appointments, that doesn't mean appointments didn't happen at all. Just like with offices, GP appointments moved largely to being virtual. And for lots of practices, phone consultations, in certain circumstances, could be here to stay. If you remember in the early dark days of the pandemic, before the vaccine came about, it was a deadly virus, remember? The last thing we wanted was waiting rooms full of people coughing and spluttering, which is exactly the way... The virus spread. So the government, actually, the Secretary of State asked GPs to work in a different way, to use telephone calls, video calls. And we rapidly moved into that way of working and managed to keep patients safe and see them. But of course, it you know it meant that we were working over the telephone or through the computer. And that continued. And uh, it does work very well for many patients. I, I speak to Patients on the phone who are at work, you know, they can take a bit of time out. I can do a video call with them. Rather than having to take time off to go to the surgery and miss work and perhaps lose pay, you know, some patients really do appreciate it. But we've never closed our surgeries through the whole pandemic. Indeed, we opened on many bank holidays to ease the pressure. But we continued seeing patients face-to-face when we needed to. You know, we were absolutely vilified in the media and by politicians saying that we're lazy, we didn't see patients face-to-face. Well, I'm afraid we did do. And that, again, led to a lot of demoralisation and GPs thinking, well, I'm trying my hardest here, yet I'm getting vilified by the media politicians, which then rubs off on to patients becoming more angry and irate. I just want to say here that I had a baby during the pandemic and was pretty much always offered a face-to-face appointment when I was concerned about him, even when lockdown had its toughest restrictions. But perhaps phone consultations for less urgent issues could help ease some of the pressure on GPs. Here's what Ian experienced when he was at the surgery. The practice receives about 500 calls in the morning between 8 and 10, was in their peak call times. And they have about four or five receptionists. So it's up to 100 calls or more 
per person every morning. That's obviously difficult. And then the second difficulty is the appointments run out normally by about 8.15. So then they have like over an hour of people calling in and they have to say there's no appointments that day. Either, you know, I'm just sorry, that's it. There's no appointments. It's a pretty thankless task for the receptionists who often bear the brunt of people's frustrations. So what's the solution to the problem? Stay tuned for part two. Hello, I'm Lucia, the host of the Witch Money podcast. Each week, we're here with the very best advice to help you through the cost of living crisis and make your money go further. With new episodes out every Friday, we cover everything from energy bills to pensions and property to help you get the best deals and ensure you're not getting ripped off. Just search Witch Money wherever you get your podcasts. This week on Witch Investigates, I'm asking why it's so hard to book a doctor's appointment. Before the break, we heard how a surgery in Manchester typically receives a staggering 500 calls most mornings. Let's hear more from witch journalist Ian Aikman, who spent a day on the front line of a GP surgery a couple of months back. I asked the room full of them, what's the one thing you say to patients that you wish they knew that would make life easier for you? as an NHS receptionist, and immediately one of them said to me, remember that we're human too. They struggle too with not being able to give people a call in what they want. And this is something that actually a few of the GPs I've been speaking to told me about. It's called moral injury. That is the sort of harm that is done to a healthcare professional when they can't provide the care they want to provide. And, you know, you become a GP because you want to treat patients. You want to make sure that the community is healthy. You want to do good, essentially. And a lot of GPs now, because they're so oversubscribed and underfunded and things like that, they are finding that they're not necessarily able to provide the level of care they want to. And that is upsetting for them. You know, it's a really, a really difficult thing to be trying to do your job, working so hard to do it and not being able to do it to a level that they would want. The impact of this environment on the mental health of NHS workers is pretty concerning. During my chat with Dr David Wrigley, I reminded him of a story I'd read before our conversation, that he was once so tired after a long shift, he'd crashed his car on the way home. That was when I was a junior doctor trainee. The hours then were actually ridiculous, you know, over 100 hours a week. That was lack of sleep and tiredness and not being able to focus and concentrate. But we are seeing these concerning um, aspects again where doctors are working harder and harder and having more and more responsibility. Often, you know, doctors are covering three or four wards overnight, 100 patients who are really sick and unwell, no chance of any rest or respite and huge decisions being made. And that leads to fatigue leads to um, problematic decision making and we don't want that do we you wouldn't want to be seen by a doctor who's been working constantly and never had time to sort of think and review over the work that they've done similar for gps now that we're often working 12 13 hour days despite what you read in the media you know working very long days with no time at all for a break or a lunch or a coffee and it's all taken on the fly According to the Royal College of General Practitioners, the average GP will still spend 40 hours at work, even if they cut down to a three-day working week. So it's no surprise that lots of them are cutting back their hours or leaving the profession entirely. 
This is happening up and down the country too, although some areas are finding it harder to retain staff than others. I work in northwest England and there's variations there, but that's sometimes to be welcomed because we have diverse populations. You know, some practices may look after a uh, university population or they may work in an inner city. My area is quite rural. We have lots of villages spread out looking after farming communities. So that that's what we should celebrate, you know, that general practice is diverse and it's able to respond and look after its local population. But more generally, I don't speak to any GP anywhere who says things aren't really, really difficult at the moment. There are parts of the country that are really hard to recruit. Often they're in deprived areas of the country and that will exacerbate health inequalities that occur there. And from Ian's experience, it's obvious that staffing levels are a huge factor. So I think the main thing from everyone I spoke to is there's not enough doctors, right? So people have problems with the booking system itself, the way it works. Unfortunately, you can't just have more GPs. The way things are at the moment, it's difficult to increase those numbers. You know, the population is growing massively, aging population as well, meaning more people are more likely to need the NHS. And the population of GPs has not grown in tandem with that. And that's just a problem that is really hard to get around. It's a pretty bleak picture, isn't it? And given the cost of living crisis, money is tight for most of us. But if you do have the cash to spare, could going private get you treated quicker? And might that in turn help ease the pressure on the NHS? Logic says that if more people went private, the NHS GPs would need to see fewer patients. But is that actually right? What we found back in spring 2022 was that more people were waiting for NHS treatment than ever before. So we looked into the kind of impact of COVID on waiting lists and found that it was quite a complex picture. So COVID had a huge impact, but there were also workforce shortages and a sort of hidden waiting list of people who didn't necessarily come forward for treatment during COVID. So there was a big backlog. This is Jess Carson, the food and health editor at Which. I think the NHS, there's always a bit of a postcode lottery. And what we found through some research from the King's Fund and Health Watch was that areas of social deprivation tended to have longer waits or people on lower incomes were more affected. And there was also some evidence that, you know, the impact of longer waiting times is compounded by kind of lifestyle factors for those groups. So maybe less flexible, secure work, no sort of option of going private for certain things. So the impact was greater on those groups. I asked her what the research uncovered about switching from the NHS to private healthcare. What we found when we spoke to which members last year is many of them, you know, were really sad about the fact that this was an option they were having to consider, but they also felt like they had no other choice because if they were waiting for sort of hip replacements or knee replacements, they were in a lot of pain. And if they had the money, they felt like the improvement to their quality of life was worth it. If you want to read more about this piece of work, I've put a link to the article in the description for this episode. It includes the things you should consider if you're thinking of going private. In terms of things to consider, costs can vary quite widely. You do have to be a bit more sort of proactive in your care and there's a bit more admin involved. There's a couple of ways you can fund private care. There's insurance schemes, but there's also self-funding. So if it's for a one-off thing, you might find self-funding works better for you. But if you're sort of looking more broadly towards the future, you might consider insurance. 
with insurance, you always kind of have to keep asking questions to make sure you're not getting any nasty surprises cost wise, because you have to just ensure that everything is covered, basically, because an initial consultant's appointment and then some x-rays or extra tests might all cost different things or need different approval. You are going to get treated sooner via private. Though, you know, it'll be interesting to see if that changes at all as more people do switch to private, because the other thing ultimately is that the consultants are often the same across NHS and private. So there's only a finite amount of resource. Jess also gave me some ballpark figures for typical treatments. We asked sort of various private companies to get a spread of costs. And what we found was it actually varies quite a lot. So if we look at hip or knee replacement, which are two of the quite common options, prices we were given varied between nine to £16,000. So that's quite a big difference. So it's worth potentially shopping around. In terms of initial appointments, a sort of initial consultant's appointment typically costs between £150 and £300. Again, this is last year's prices. And there are, again, there are different ways to pay. You can pay per individual surface or you can pay for a sort of package. So there's a bit more to consider cost-wise. It's definitely not cheap. But for those who can afford it, going private could be an enticing option if you do your research and shop around. But there is a different, cheaper option that's becoming a more common treatment route for everyday ailments, an option that could bypass the need for a GP appointment altogether. Something that came out during the lockdowns, I think, was government advice being, don't go to your GP if you don't have to, go to the pharmacist instead. They see it as a key part of their role, sort of being this sort of local healthcare advisor for the community. Pharmacies play a vital role in our health service and offer a lot more than just prescription medicines. But it seems as though these are often overlooked. We put our survey to the public asking them if they have consulted a pharmacist about their health and only 64% of them said they had. That leaves over a third of people who wouldn't even consider going to their pharmacy for treatment. And Rachel Power from the Patients Association agrees they could play a part in easing some of the pressures on GP surgeries. I ask myself that question quite a lot. I think we could do an awful lot more around working in partnership with pharmacies, so patients and pharmacies working together, because a lot of pharmacies, their team are from the local population and understand the needs of the local population. So we have spoken to pharmacy organisations to, to look at you know, if you look at GPs, they have their patient participation groups. And is there something we could do together to help pharmacies to have that same sort of relationship so that patients know the options that are there for them and have worked and that pharmacy know what patients need as well? The role of a local chemist could be particularly useful for elderly members of the community, especially people who visit the pharmacy a lot to pick up prescriptions. Got huge respect for my colleagues who work in community pharmacy. They're on every high street, aren't they? And they, these are highly trained individuals, and they really struggle, you know, with the funding they receive from government, and often that isn't adequate for what they wish to do. But they could um, integrate far more in the local healthcare system and care for patients. And some of that is happening now in my local area. We do see a pharmacist dealing with minor ailments. They take blood pressure from patients and help with treating patients as well. So I think there's a lot more can be done with our community pharmacy colleagues. I'm sure they would say the same, but equally for them, it is around resources and they could do more if they had more resources and 
I think there's a, a bit of a missed trick there. I think government should really focus more on integrating them into into the healthcare system and providing them the resources that they need to to offer more to their patients. The NHS is in crisis. But one thing I've come away with from the people we've spoken to for this episode is that GPs really want to deliver better care. The lack of appointments we're facing isn't through their own choosing. I think the main thing that stays with me from this experience is the fact that everyone working in healthcare who I've spoken to is so dedicated to the job. They want things to work better. None of these issues are coming from a lack of desire or effort on the part of healthcare professionals. And yeah, it's a real shame that they're not able to provide the level of service that they obviously want to. I want to end with this from Dr Wrigley. We asked him for his thoughts on what needs to change for things to get better. If we had a health system and staff who were looked after and cared for, the funding was adequate, we had enough money for premises to be updated and equipment to be um, provided, then waiting times would plummet. And we've seen this in the past where waiting times fall right down. Then the um, desire or need to use the private sector almost falls away. And born out of that is a desire that all patients get um, equal access to care, no matter where you live, no matter what is in your bank account and that care obviously should be of high quality which i accept at the moment isn't you know the nhs is really struggling to provide quality care but hopefully we'll move to a situation where that changes and patients can expect to be seen in a timely fashion with high quality care Thanks for listening to today's show and a massive thank you to all our guests who helped shine a light on what's happening in the healthcare system at the moment. We're putting together some ideas for the next few months of episodes, so if there's anything you'd like us to cover, do get in touch. From health supplements to supermarket psychology tactics to your pets, we're here to serve all consumers, so nothing's off the table. And we love hearing your feedback and we read every email we get from our listeners. So do let us know how you're finding the podcast and whether there's anything you think we could do differently. If you want more free advice to help you with the cost of living, head to witch.co.uk forward slash cost of living. We've also got an affordable food for all petition, which could really do with your backing. Find out more about this at witch.co.uk forward slash affordable dash food. Today's episode was presented by me, Grace Farrell, written and produced by Rob Lilly. Editing and original music is by Eric Breer, and our executive producer is Angus Farker. A special thanks this week to everyone in the health team here at Witch. And I'll be back in two weeks to look at whether we can ever expect household bills to go back to normal. <laughs>